Hey there, fellow podcast listeners. My name is Blake Oliver. I'm a certified public accountant, and like many of you, I'm required to get continuing professional education credits every year to keep my license active. How do I get those credits? By going to conferences, going to webinars. What I can't do is listen to podcasts. And that has frustrated me, which is why I've created a new app. It's called Earmark CPE, and it will allow you to get continuing professional education credits for listening to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts. Podcasts like this one, the Earmark Accounting Podcast and the Cloud Accounting Podcast. The app is launching soon, so sign up for early access by going to earmarkcpe.com or click the link in the show notes. That's earmarkcpe.com. Earmark, free your CPE. Welcome to Earmark. I'm your host, Blake Oliver, and my guest is Jeffrey Thompson, CMA and president and CEO of IMA, the Institute of Management Accountants. We are here in San Antonio at the IMA Texas Council Conference. That's right. I got it right? Yep. Texas Council event. Absolutely right, Blake. Wonderful. I, I think it's been maybe two years since I've been out on the road doing any sort of podcast interviews. So thank you for being my my first during COVID, post COVID, I don't even know what to call this time period that we're in. <laughs> let's let's hope it's post COVID. <laughs> so when I was going back to take my accounting classes and and get my CPA, I'm trying to think if I was aware of the CMA. I'm not sure I was made aware right, of it. Right. Like it wasn't on my radar. Right. Certified management accountant, I should say, for those who may sure. not be familiar, uh, as opposed to the certified public accountant license. CMA is a certificate run by IMA, which is a U.S.-based organization. Right. How does it compare in terms of membership and what you do with it, like in the context of people who might be familiar with CPA license? So CPA is a state license administered by the state boards of accountancy. It is you know, very much focused. And by the way, the... Um, CPA, the CPA exam, it is an esteemed exam. It is not competitive at all with the CMA. Uh, it's just a different body of knowledge. The CPA exam focuses primarily on audit, attestation, compliance, statutory reporting, financial standards, what we call financial accounting or often called public accounting, where you could become an auditor or be in a CPA firm, whether it's a big four or down market. The CMA is a certification but it's not required to file taxes or to do audits or anything of that sort, uh, like an enrolled agent or a CPA for audits. CMA is, uh, we think of it as a global passport. We administer one CMA exam around the world, a two-part exam focused on 12 individual areas of competency, six each in the two-part CMA exam. So it's the same objective standard around the world it's rigorous, it's robust, it's relevant to those who are not only in positions in finance and accounting that help protect value, but also aspire to be in positions to create value. Business cases, funding analysis, innovation, uh, those who aspire to become CFOs need to have uh, background in both financial accounting, more of the uh, retrospective view, and managerial accounting, more of the prospective, uh, forward-looking view of value creation. So if I'm a student and I am thinking about what do I want to do with my career, maybe my 
professors are saying CPA is, is it. I, I feel like that is yeah. the only path a lot of the time. Maybe that's a little old-fashioned. I, I know that more and more students are going straight into industry, going to work for companies, not necessarily going to work for public accounting firms. It doesn't have to be the big four, and, and that's it anymore. Right. Yeah, so we need to... Um we as members of the profession, the aggregate profession of accounting, uh, need to do a better job at telling the story of uh, a profession that makes a difference and a profession that is multifaceted. There are so many pathways, different entry points. We have to all commit to doing that. I think we have an obligation to doing that uh, because I think the relevance of our profession is at stake. And I'll describe that in a moment. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Because um, the CPA is well known, as it should be, uh, and well regarded, it is not the only pathway. It is not the only starting point. Something like 75% of entry-level public accountants uh, who start out in public accounting within three to four or five years, 75% of them find their way into industry doing financial planning analysis, doing enterprise risk management, doing various levels of decision support, the value creation activities, strategy type activities that require a financial aspect to it. And there's a talent gap because of that preparation, that lack of preparation. That's the void that we help to fill uh, from a management accountancy perspective. Whether you start out in industry or wind your way into industry, you're probably going to work in industry at some point along right. the, the pathway. Um, I, I think that bears worth yeah. repeating. Yeah. <laughs> that we are educating accountants in our accounting programs in audit and tax. It seems like a heavy emphasis on that. At least it was when I took it, and that wasn't that long ago. We go into public accounting. We achieve our goal, and we make it the big four, but only... 25% right. last more than a few years. The right. rest of us right. say, no thanks, for a variety of reasons, right? Some, sometimes it's overwork. Sometimes it's just uh, that that's the nature of how those firms are designed. Right. Not, 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 having, not having the belief that you can get on that partner track. It's up or right. out, right? It's up or out, right. Yeah, so, right. so you end up going into industry, into a company, and then do you necessarily have the skills that you need to right. succeed there. You kind of have to start over. Right. You have to go all the way back to... Or, or the company what, has to train you. So it's a preparation gap. That's why we've been working, IMA has been working with local chapters, colleges and universities literally around the world to build in management accounting curriculum into the overarching accounting curriculum because there is and there always has been a preparation gap a big gap between what is taught and what is actually required in industry or even in, a, in an advisory firm. Mm -hmm. And especially with the infusion of data analytics and data science and strategy management over the years into our profession, which we also cover on the CMA exam, uh, it is even more important that we uh, work together as an ecosystem to teach what is actually done in practice in in the real world um so yeah, i mean it seems like kind of obvious when you say it <laughs> that we should be teaching accountants what accountants do what accountants do yes not what they did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago right. 
not that I'm a swimmer, but I like to think of it as different swim lanes. When I started out in industry, in the profession, the CFO was primarily in the accounting swim lane. Statutory reporting, financial standards, audit, attestation, compliant, critically important foundation for any business. But over time, because of that central role of being responsible for the cash flow of the organization and cash is king, we've added many, many swim lanes to the role of the CFO for businesses small and large. We've added finance. We've added, to a large extent, operations. There are fewer COOs around than there used to be because the CFO kind of does a lot of that now. Um, We added technology. We added strategy. And it's not that one person or one office can be totally expert in all those domains, but today's CFO in industry, today's CMA, has to be fluent uh, because that is the way value flows in an organization. The interdisciplinary nature of those knowledge domains, how they're taught undergraduate, perhaps as separate silos, um, is problematic for the way it really works in industry. And today, to be strong in FP&A, financial planning and analysis, budgeting, forecasting, sensitivity analysis, scenario planning, uh, simulations, data analytics is critical. Statistics is critical. Computer coding is critical. We didn't do any of that when I was studying accounting. That's the point. That's (laughs) That's the the point. That's the problem, right? And if the rate of change of the technology is exceeding the rate of change of our ability to absorb and apply it from a skill set perspective, then we're losing the race for relevance as Mm -hmm. a profession. And that may be why I see the stat crop up every now and then that something like 30% of CFOs are CPAs these days. Yeah. It's declined dramatically, right, like has. you said. It, it has. You know, more and more CFOs have MBAs. The way I like to refer to the CFO position and the CFO team, it's not just the CFO, <clears throat> is you need technical accounting depth with business operations breadth. So for credibility purposes, I don't think you can get away being a CFO without knowing some accounting, some controllership type of accounting. You need to be able to open up the hood and yeah. understand what's going on yeah. with the journal entries, yeah. right? I mean, you know. with the journal entries, with the transactions, with the bank recs and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, for one thing, you need to know how to hire the right people. You have to be able to ask the right questions. You have to be able to embrace a culture of challenge. And you can't do that if you don't have that credibility. So that's the technical accounting depth that a CFO, a future fit CFO has. But it's also that breadth of business operations, the knowledge of how not just cash flows, but value flows, which means that interdisciplinary nature of those knowledge domains that a CFO has to have today, strategy, technology, operations, supply chain, finance, of course, um, Mm -hmm. critically, critically important. In fact, some have referred to the CFO as the chief futures officer. Some have referred to the CFO as the chief value officer. I'm okay with that, but we can't all we, we also can't lose our roots as you know being responsible for the official financial position of the or, of the organization yeah. in terms of income statement, balance sheet, sources and uses of funds, and things like that. It's great that we're involved in all the hot new things, the data analytics, the simulations, and the big data and all that kind of stuff. Critically important that we uh, uh, be relevant for the future and and be able to attract. Uh, students, millennials into our profession, that it actually is an an exciting profession because 
Yeah, you could paint a picture of our profession being pretty dull, boring, and going nowhere. In fact, sliding into oblivion. Um, if you say, well, accountants just count the beans. They don't help sprout the beans, which is, of course, what we also do. Robots are taking over lower-end transaction-oriented uh, with bots and our mm-hmm. robotics process mm-hmm. automation. And then we say, well, we're going to make it up with higher-value jobs. Well, how? Unless we acquire those skills. What, what creates the value and... In, in uh, you said one of those things that, that resonated, which was FP&A, right? Yep. Actually being able to forecast and, and budget and uh, project where an organization is headed. I like to think about it as, as forecasting the financial statements. Right. So we're not just looking backwards. Right. Um, but we don't, we don't really learn how to do that at this point. Well, so let's talk about education. Sure. Actually, before we do that, <laughs> there's one other kind of strange thing about our profession that I just want to get your take on. So I always thought it was strange that the default career path is I study for five years, I go into public accounting, and I'm auditing companies. But I've never produced a set of financial statements before, and yet I'm supposed to check the financial, the work of others? People should be going from, into industry, learning how to do this stuff, doing it, and then auditing. Yeah, you know, first of all, there are so many different career paths Starting out in industry and moving into audit or public accounting. I mean, that just doesn't happen, though. Doesn't seem to happen. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, whether it was a company that I grew up in, AT&T, or now at IMA, clearly you would you want to have an experienced auditor because otherwise it results in redundant testing, redundant controls, redundant documentation, non-value-added activity, uh, when you have an inexperienced auditor, first assignment or you know an early assignment or first industry vertical with some of the nuances of that vertical, you know we don't have time in a fast-moving business environment for non-value-added work. Now it's not to say the obviously the audit is critically important, compliance is critically important, but customers, members are in need of education and training and certification and. You know, that's where the value is. That's where the value creation comes about. So we don't have time to waste time or money on redundancy. I mean, I think about Sarbanes-Oxley and internal controls, the, the built-in redundancy of the auditors and management testing and retesting and thousands of key controls in the early days of SOX. How can you have thousands of key controls, right? And that is non-value-added work, quite frankly. But it's one of those uh, acts, I don't know if it was specifically SOX that was described this way, but uh, maybe it was, you know, the Accountants Full Employment Act, <laughs> or that was the TCJA. But yeah. the idea is that the more laws that we have, the more compliance we have, the, yeah. the more jobs we have guaranteed. Yeah. But it's not the, like the most fun work. No, <laughs> no. And, uh, and again, interesting anyway. And again, I think what makes our profession attractive Uh, if we were able to describe it and tell the story, is that it really is a profession with multiple start points, multiple pathways, and multiple endpoints. I mean, it doesn't have to be CFO or controller. It could be in a bigger company. It could be a unit CFO or a um, um, subsidiary or a product line CFO or controller. And, you know, we have a lot of CMAs who are actually not even in the finance and accounting function. They're in supply chain you know, operations, supply chain type uh, positions. So 
Yeah, we've we've got to describe the profession in terms of 2021, 2030, 2040, not um, you know 1968 or 1980 or when Sox was born, 2002. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't remember. I was uh, still in high school. Apparently, yeah, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Sox yeah. was. I think it's Sox hard, it, was two thousand. It's it's kind of amazing to think that you know Enron fell what over twenty years ago now. Uh, yeah, and my our our um, one of our big competitors at T was MCI WorldCom. Uh, they fell soon thereafter. I think I think they followed Enron because of fraudulent um, financial reporting. So look. Sometimes it may not be the sexiest work in the world, audit, tax, compliance, um, statutory reporting, but it is work that makes a difference and that some people enjoy. There's, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of folks that enjoy working the details, the numbers and the number crunching. It's not for everybody, but the point is that there's that plus so much more right. that is more driven by professional judgment, by analytics, by scenarios, by uncertainty. Uh, when you think about COVID and the, the work that CFOs had to do to keep their balance sheet strong and manage through uncertainty, um, that's what the accounting profession's all about in its entirety. So let's talk about education and how we can, I don't know, maybe fix it. Uh, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle. <laughs> I think it was earlier this year, if that's the right word, kerfuffle between the IMA and the AICPA about the educational model that goes with this CPA evolution project. Sure. So CPA evolution, for those who aren't familiar, is this change that's happening to the CPA exam and the curriculum to uh, supposedly modernize it. I, I believe, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that the point of contention revolved around whether or not managerial and cost accounting would be lost as part of the right. curriculum. And I'm curious to know, uh, since that happened, has there been an update? How do you feel about the evolution, CPA evolution, and, and how is that going to impact the accounting profession? And, and I, I guess I'm asking you this because, uh, you know, even though the IMA is not responsible for the CPA, what happens with the CPA impacts Absolutely. the IMA a lot because it determines how colleges and universities teach right since they tend to teach to the cpa exam right right so so like what is going on there well so let's let's keep the end in mind here and keep just for just for a moment keep the um kerfuffle is that the word kerfuffle uh, disagreement yes. <laughs> these fancy words you get a california is that a california word i, I don't know I, I, we don't use words like that in jersey <laughs> <laughs> We use other words. But In I, other words that we can't say on yeah, the we podcast? Can't, yeah, we don't want okay. to say it on the podcast. <laughs> but if you keep the um, organizations and their credentials on the sidelines for just a moment, I do applaud, IMA applauds both AICPA and NASBA for their transformative efforts to say, hey, you know what, we need to prepare for the future of, of the profession versus what it was. You know, we give them a lot of credit for uh, undertaking such a massive, massive change. <clears throat> that said, there are two broad concerns that we respectfully shared with uh, the leaders of AICPA and NASBA. One is we believe there's a different end game. The end game, as we understand it from uh, CPA evolution, is to better prepare the entry level public accountant, the entry level CPA. And we believe the end in mind should be to prepare 
all kinds of accountants for enriching, diverse, global types of careers, which could be public accounting, could be financial accounting, could be industry, could be nonprofit, could be so many. So we think it's much broader than the entry-level public accountant. The second concern is the one you hit on. When we had the opportunity to review the uh, model curriculum, we saw lack of breadth and depth in managerial and cost accounting, which we believe are essential. Uh, If you're in a firm, big or small, if you're in public, if you're in private, if you're in industry, and it concerned us. And one way that many entry-level students learn about the other part of the profession, uh, managerial accounting, the value creation part, is through their CPA pathway because they've never heard of the other alternatives and choices. And so if the uh, management accounting content is significantly reduced, we are no longer exposing students to potential complementary, alternative, sequential careers. That's our basic concern. And we think that's a great risk to the profession beyond IMA, beyond CMA, beyond AICPA, beyond the CPA exam. Does that make sense? It does. It does. One of the things that disappointed me a bit with the CPA Evolution Project was there was nothing around the 150-hour requirement that we have as CPAs now, which is you basically have to get a fifth year of education before you can even sit for the exam. As a career changer myself, it was irritating. (laughs) That's a generous word, irritating to have to go back to school to take classes that weren't even in accounting just so that I could have enough credits to sit for an exam. And that's been uh, a point of contention. It's been brought up numerous times when people ask, is it too hard to get the CPA? That's been a theme over the last few years, perhaps. Is it too hard to become a CPA given that we have some declining numbers? I I think this is well known that fewer people are sitting for the exam. We've had a decline. And, And a lot of CPAs are baby boomers and are retiring. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get more of them? It leads me to a question, which is, how hard is it to get the CMA by comparison? If I wanted to go become a CMA today as a CPA or somebody who's studied accounting, what would I have to do to do that? Structurally, the CMA exam is two parts, two-part exam. Each part has uh, multiple choice questions and open-ended questions that are required to synthesize a business problem, et cetera, et cetera. Each of the two parts has six different knowledge domains or content Mm -hmm. areas, uh, including ethics, including uh, risk management, internal controls. When we put the CMA body of knowledge and the 12 knowledge domains in front of CFOs, uh, heads of supply chain, corporate controllers, it resonates. They say, yeah, these are the skills that I need. And in many cases, these are skills or competencies that we're lacking. We just minted our, uh, I think, as you know, our 100,000th uh, CMA. Uh, it's a very, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're very, very proud of that. Uh, number 100,000 was a uh, professional from Qatar, uh, or Qatar, if you prefer. So it shows how truly global we are. Um, but the global pass rate is about, about 50%. And what's the education requirement? Uh, the education requirement is a bachelor's degree in any field. Any field, okay. Any field. And then there's, there's a work experience there's requirement? There's a two-year work experience requirement. So to become a CMA, 
you have to pass uh, the two-part exam with a global pass rate of eh, around 50, maybe 55% at the, at the high end, and a two-year experience requirement. And how long do people generally study for the exam? It varies, six to 18 months. Okay. So kind of com- comparable to the CPA exam, we have this 18-month window where you have to take all four exams, I believe. Do you have that for the CMA? We have well? a, um, uh, I believe we have a three-year window. Okay. Three years. Three years from the time you register for the first exam. And I, I'd also like to add that we have only one, which we're proud of actually, one add-on certification, meaning once you're a CMA, um, you also have access to a second certification called CSCA, Certified in Strategy and Competitive Analysis. And you're like, what the heck? We're an accounting, freaking accounting association here. What are we doing? Strategy, MBA type stuff? Well, the well, like is, you said, that's important. Well, whether you're a CFO in a large company uh, and at the table as part of the C-suite or in a smaller company where the CFO wears many hats, including strategy, our CFO at IMA, for example, Russ Porter, who's uh, just recently retired from IBM as a financial executive, he heads up our strategy as the CFO of the organization. And so that's where our profession has come. And when you think about it, wow, I can apply my technical, quantitative kind of background to really some really cool, exciting things, the strategy of the organization, dealing with disruption, trying to create the next best product or service that will not only change the world, but preempt competition and you know, help us deal with the uncertainties of climate and pandemics and typhoons and you know, environmental factors that have now become top of mind from a risk management perspective. That's what our great professions become. Um, it isn't, there's, there's not a standard for how to deal with the future. There's a standard for how to deal with the past, whether it's US GAAP or IFRS, but that's where judgment comes into play. That's where innovation, creativity, talking to futurists, technologists like yourself. I mean, those are things that today's CFO and finance and accounting team do, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it, it, it certainly sounds exciting. So sign, <laughs> me, sign me up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might have to take three years to get, to get through the exams. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure exactly where I'll get the uh, work experience, but we'll, we'll figure it out. I think you know? the average, though, is um, under 18, 12 to 18 months is, is yeah. So I just got to get a job in industry <laughs> and then start taking the exams. I could, I could do it in 18 months. Yeah. That's good to know. And I, I think the, um, if you have the CMA, the, the salary bump, yeah, it's quite good, you know, comparable to yeah. CPA. And actually, if you have both, yeah, it's even better, right? So, so. if you have um, our March 2021, we do an annual salary survey, um, and the March 2021 survey uh, indicated that CMAs, on average, earn 58 percent more in median pay than non-CMAs, which yeah, that's um, quite a lot. Yeah. yeah, which is now as a statistician, um, correlation <laughs> is not cause and effect, but it's data. It's, it's data. I mean, that is a fact. CMAs in the cohort sampled, which was statistically significant, earned 58% more. And it varies by age, by certainly part of the world, and other criteria. But that's a pretty nice, whatever you want to call it, differential. And, and you are a data science a data scientist by trade. Yeah. Doing it so long that it was before uh, they even called it. Yeah, data science, exactly. Right? You got your start at AT&T. So 
I appreciate that qualification there in the in the in yeah the, well, in the data. We we we, uh, we were just mathematicians, uh, OR experts, econometricians, but the analytical support that is needed in organizations today yeah. is exponentially more than it was when I started out in industry a few years ago, <laughs> a few decades ago, actually, because the world has become so much more complicated so much more uncertain, so much disruptive. And a lot of it's positive. A lot of it is technology disruption is a great thing, actually. But make no mistake about it, it means fewer accounting jobs in the more routine, repeatable tasks in audit, compliance, statutory reporting. I have a theory that this automation that you're talking about of the routine work could end up changing the whole model of the you know standard career path. Because why have we needed so many staff accountants in public accounting for so right. long? It's because a lot of that routine work in collecting data for audits, in processing data, in getting a tax return put together requires people pushing numbers around, yep. but not using a whole lot of Insight. insider discussion, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, so it's sort of a, a devil's bargain where you, you go there for a few years, you do that routine work yeah. for a fairly low salary, yep. You get trained and experienced theoretically, and then you go to the promised land of you know forty-hour work weeks right. <laughs> in industry, right? Yeah. But but if they don't need that anymore, then where do people go when they graduate? You know, do you agree we'll have more people go into industry in the future? I think so, um, um, but they have to go into industry prepared, and that brings us back to the education that, discussion. That brings us back to that cycle, the ecosystem of yeah. education preparation. There's always going to be room for building your experience and, and learning as you go. Uh, there's, all, there's corporate training programs. There's certifications, of course, in supply chain and project management, not just accounting and finance. But uh, we need to transform arg the arguably archaic accounting education infrastructure. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about the CMA, about the IMA, where would you recommend they go? Well, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm all over social media, our website, uh, www.imanet.org. We're a very inclusive organization. You actually don't have to be certified to be a member, um, although most of our members are certified. We're growing, uh, and we're, we really think we are making a difference. And uh, I think that should be exciting to millennials, especially as we get into non-financial reporting and uh, ESG beyond the tangibles, the intangibles of reputation and trust, relationships, innovation, talent. How do you measure those things? How do you measure their, their value to the corporation, to the planet? environmental factors so i didn't even have time to ask you about all the sustainability yeah, the reporting. sustainability reporting um sustainable business management we call it um this is not your mother or father or grandfather or grandmother's accounting mm -hmm. this is a profession that is at the forefront of societal and organizational change and transformation and it really is an exciting profession I hope you enjoyed this episode of Earmark, hosted by me, Blake Oliver. I hope you learned something, too. If you did, wouldn't it be nice to earn CPE credit for it? I have some good news for you. 
Soon, you can. Visit earmarkcpe.com to sign up for early access when the Earmark CPE app launches later this year. Earmark CPE is my mobile app that will offer NASBA-approved CPE credits for educational courses built around podcast episodes. Soon, you'll be able to listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts and get CPE credit. Visit earmarkcpe.com to learn more.